Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. COP27 was meant to be the implementation summit, the climate meeting in Sharm el-Sheikh designed to build on previous pledges and lead to real action to tackle climate change. But what's actually been achieved? A loss and damage funding arrangement, but with extremely vague details. A seemingly sharp U-turn on the language around fossil fuels and little in the way of action to keep that dream of 1.5 degrees alive. So was it, as some have claimed, a historic moment? Or, as its detractors claim, a missed opportunity which the planet can ill afford? With me now, with their verdicts, are Zituri Ald Dada, Deputy Director of the Climate and Environment Division at the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, Nick Maybe, founder and co-CEO of climate change think tank, E3G, and Marjun, director of the Institute of Public and Environmental Affairs in Beijing, and making up our panel, Dr. Satyendra Prasad, ambassador and permanent representative of Fiji to the United Nations. Good to see um, all of you gentlemen. I'll start with you, um, Zituni. Um, action, not words. That was the theme of this COP. It was meant to be the implementation summit. But was COP a flop? This COP happened at a time of a succession of crises, uncertainty and, and suffering of many countries and people as well. And we have seen the impact of climate change all around the world and, and the loss and damage that has been caused. So obviously there was a lot of attention, a lot of focus uh, and hope in getting this loss and damage fund to, to help developing countries and poor countries and communities to, to, you know, to cope with the impact of, of climate change. So this was achieved. So on one hand, this is this is a good news. You know, it's in the making, but at least there is an agreement there to build on it to go forward. It has been really disappointing in terms of um, increased ambitions, and that's what we need because you know we need to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 45 percent by 2030. Unfortunately, at the current trend, we're going backwards. Um, you know, instead of decreasing it by 45 percent, we're expecting an increase of 10 to 14 percent by 2030. Uh, and also renegotiations are complicated. There are many issues that are being negotiated and, and this is um, uh, you know, um, a, a complex process. But let me say also that there have been some, some good news. The, for the first time, we see big focus on global food security. So there was a, a World Leaders Summit at the beginning of the COP, which you know, led to some initiatives that I can talk about later on. And in the current climate where we're still facing, unfortunately, around 830 million people who go hungry every day, big problem about food loss and waste. So we've seen increased importance to, to adaptation and also nature-based solutions that has been recognized in the text. So overall, it's, 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 a, it's a progress. Every little helps. Uh, unfortunately, the ambition is still low and we're far away from reaching the 1.5 degree and the sustainable development yeah. goals as a whole. So, Tendra, I wonder if this is a view that you share. I want to talk about that loss and damage fund, but finally being set up. But now, of course, we need to see contributions put into it. We need to see those pledges be be become real. And, you know, the, the $100 billion um, fund, that was agreed even before Paris, that still hasn't been met. We're still falling short. With that in mind, how are we going to fill this fund? First, uh, on, on the 100, 100 billion, obviously, we are not. Uh, we are not there from a Fiji small island states perspective. We are deeply disappointed 
uh, and uh, and we uh, continue to urge on uh, the developed not to deliver on the 100 billion. The most fundamental and basic building block of implementation is finance, and uh, finance uh, on scale, finance on speed as well. Every day that adaptation is delayed, the cost of adaptation increases exponentially as, as all the reports are showing. And already the world probably needs, uh, as the UN's uh, recent report uh, suggests, in excess of $4 trillion annually uh, to meet uh, the overall adaptation and transition, uh, energy transition and other related costs. So every day we delay on uh, on delivering on the core finance pledge for climate finance is, uh, is uh, contributing to a uh, monumental, substantial, very significant increase in adaptation cost down, uh, downstream. And uh, we will continue to urge uh, uh, Develop North to deliver speedily on this. The second uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the loss and damage fund, uh, this is uh, quite uh, monumental because this then completes uh, the trio uh, for climate action. We need uh, climate, uh, we need mitigation, uh, countries need to work harder to secure the 1.5. We need adaptation. Uh, countries need to adapt to protect development gains and to uh, protect uh, development from uh, climate change and, and rising temperatures. And three, the things that lie beyond adaptation, these are in the domain of loss and damage. And so countries need to be able to access resources as well as support for loss and damage that is now uh, uh, being caused for countries like Fiji and uh, small island states on the front of the front lines of uh, climate change loss and damage has already been occurring for decades and so this is catching up and completing that. Uh, COP27 delivered a strongest, uh, firmest uh, uh, political commitment to establish a loss and damage fund within a shortest period of time of uh, 12 months. We are uh, optimistic, we are hopeful uh, that uh, countries yeah. uh, will live up to their votes and that uh, we shall deliver on a robust uh, loss and damage fund uh, by the time COP28 meets. Nika, I wonder, as someone who was there too in Sharm el Sheikh, what, what's your overriding feeling? Satisfaction, dissatisfaction, something else? Well, I think the, the other contributors have showed it was a very mixed picture. You know, some kind of quite uh, important structural move forward on loss and damage, but. Yeah, we came out of Glasgow with a huge momentum from leaders um, and from investors and business of, of how to solve this issue. And we were hoping to go into the beginning of 2022, um, doubling down on that and actually doing some of the big reforms in places like the IMF and the World Bank to, to allow countries to, to finance this. Instead, of course, the world has been dealing with the consequence of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, food crisis, energy crisis and a debt crisis. And so, um, and, a, and an attention crisis, to be honest. And so really leaders weren't focused on what we hoped they would be focused on coming out of Glasgow. So they didn't come forward with um, a, you know, the implementation or a stronger commitments on um, emissions reductions than we hoped. We did see some, you know, the Americans pass an act to fulfill their commitments. The Europeans increased their commitments. China's been rolling out renewables. So in the real world, things have happened, but in the, in the target setting, there was a, a deficit there. And I think particularly the economic crisis has really made countries cautious about committing to large new investments, because it's very hard for many countries to actually get access to money at an affordable price. So um, we didn't go backwards, but going backwards, not moving forward is going backwards on climate change. So it was disappointing in that sense. But 
I suppose my feeling is, um, again, next year we've got a real chance of moving forward again. This was, but given the scale of the global crisis, it's not surprising we didn't make as much progress this year as we hoped. It's interesting you, you talk about caution. Uh, Mark, Mark Jong, I want to bring you in now because before the conference we spoke and you said you really wanted to see lots of collaboration, unity, those were really <laughs> important. Did you see enough of that? In a way, we, uh, uh, we have seen uh, some of that. Uh, I want to echo uh, the uh, uh, other guests uh, by saying that we're very happy to see the COP27 reached uh, this agreement uh, on the establishment of, uh, of this funding mechanism to compensate um, uh, loss and damage uh, from climate-induced disasters. And this is, um, this is very important for the uh, for so many countries to, to 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 remain to maintain this uh, unity and, uh, and and explore collaboration, um, as uh, uh, UN Secretary uh, Guterres uh, cited, uh, this is a very important political step to try to uh, rebuild uh, the broken trust. You know, little uh, have all these vulnerable nations that have made little contribution to climate change. Uh, but uh, but they are uh, enduring the most severe risks at this moment. So this is about climate justice and um, um, uh, for the developed nations with large historical emission to make this uh, uh, commitment. Um, but uh, some of the previous uh, commitment made uh, have been non-fulfilled for too long, like the including that uh, 100 billion dollar U.S. dollar. Um, so it's very uh, encouraging to see this mechanism being built, and um, uh, we're also very happy to see uh, China and U.S. You know, during this conference, very conference, resume the bilateral cooperation. Uh, as the two largest uh, current uh, greenhouse gas emitters, it is uh, crucial for China and U.S. to to continue to work together and uh, to to continue to make this such a make an intensive. Um, uh, discussion and uh, collaboration uh, on this issue. Uh, if we uh, want to really uh, ensure that uh, uh, the target of Paris Agreement can be reached. Um, uh, having said that, I think uh, uh, we also need to caution all this. Um, uh, at this moment, uh, there are also all these uh, factors that can pull us uh, apart yeah. and uh, uh, more, a lot more efforts must be made uh, if we want to maintain this unity and cooperation. I want to pick up on one of those pledges that was made in, P in Paris and something that you were talking about, Setienda, this key expectation about real movement on 1.5 degrees. That just didn't happen, did it? That's uh, deeply, uh, deeply disappointing. Look, why this uh, really matters is uh, for many countries, uh, the 100 billion provides the core financing for climate action. It is unjust, it is immoral as well, and it is wrong in all dimensions of, of that term uh, for highly vulnerable countries to have to borrow at commercial, uh, commercial rates or semi-commercial rates to recover from uh, climate catastrophes that they did not cause. And this is the reality for so many countries. So many countries are uh, putting aside and, and pulling back on their human development, are reallocating uh, significant resources to, uh, to recover and rehabilitate after each uh, climate, uh, climate catastrophes. And many countries are living from climate catastrophe to climate catastrophe. 
and unless the funds uh, have been uh, uh, put in place to allow them to stabilize their development, to, to preserve and uh, their development gains, uh, this unfairness of, uh, of uh, the climate crisis will, uh, will continue. And this is just so wrong. And uh, countries have made a commitment. Uh, we, uh, they've made a commitment voluntarily. We think that 100 billion is an absolute flow for global financing. And it, it just must be uh, must be on the table to allow some return to sanity in, in climate uh, climate actions. Zituni, let's talk about emissions. I, I'm thinking about the UK's Alok Sharma, um, who had been the head of COP26. He said after that COP27 final communique that while science tells us we need to see emissions peaking before 2025, you wouldn't know that from the COP27 text. Why didn't we get tougher language? I mean, tough language, um, you know, that, that, that's something that, um, you know, exists everywhere in a sense, because we know what we need to do. We know all the evidence. We know what the science has been telling us. You know, all the reports from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and other sources of evidence, they point to the urgency of the situation we're in. You know, the crisis we're in is not just the climate change, the biodiversity loss as well. And the fact that we do have a very short window of action to do something at, at big scale. So we know what we need to do. We have the solutions, actually. We do have the innovation. We need more political will to get on with it. We need more investment in, in projects on the ground, such as the ones on, on renewable energy, for instance. Um, you know, the International Energy Agency um, estimates that we need around four trillion to be invested in renewable energy every year by 2030. If you were to if we were to reach the net zero emissions by 2050, so the text, you know, we could argue what's in it, what's not in it, but you know, the negotiations have been going on for 27 years, and the evidence is increasing, and the window of really action is is decreasing. So we know what needs to be done. Uh, we need to, to really harness the power of innovation, in, in my opinion, and invest more in the early warning systems, because what we've seen in Europe, including in, in the UK this summer, something we've never seen before, and with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the scientists from all around the world are saying, is that this frequency is going to increase and it's going to get worse, unless we take this seriously and act faster and at a very large scale. We also need to, to invest in nature, in ecosystem restoration and conservation, the land degradation, the soil degradation. These are all the, the really the, the bedrock, the basis of our lifestyle, if you like, of our uh, livelihood and for, for, for people all around the world. So we know what needs to be done. And, and, and as I think as um, it was said earlier, there is a lot happening outside the negotiations as well, and, and luckily that's the case. You know, this parallel movement happening with, with investors, with, with financial agreements, with uh, projects happening on the ground. But the reality is we need to do much more because climate change is running away from us, basically. We're not matching the level of urgency uh, that is needed. Let's talk about fossil fuels, because Marjun, we've talked before about how you feel that, that coal is a potential sticking point, um, notably uh, for, for China. 
There was no agreement on phasing down fossil fuels at COP27, uh, in the communique, certainly. I mean, how might that hinder the quest to tap into more renewable energy markets? We kind of expect this issue to be a really containing point because uh, for many countries, not just China, uh, but uh, uh, quite a few other uh, emerging market countries, even some of the developed countries, you know, still facing this uh, this challenge of uh, of energy transition. And um, uh, we, you know, uh, ten years uh, during the past ten years, China made um, have shut down, you know, thousands of coal mines and made. A uh, very large investment and build the world's largest uh, capacity on wind, solar, and hydro. Um, uh, but in the meantime, you know, uh, during the past two years, we continue to suffer from this uh, uh, power rationing uh, due to this uh, uh, shortage of uh, of energy, electricity, you know, electricity supply. Um, I think it uh, it and that has highlighted uh, the. Uh, the challenge of the transition and uh, the, uh, obviously the geopolitical tension uh, made no help on this uh, because, uh, you know, not just China, but all the major economies now um, have, uh, have focused uh, so much on the uh, ensure the energy security. And for China, you know, the uh, uh, central government considered that uh, coal is the uh, uh, at this moment uh, is the, the way to ensure the energy security to reduce the dependence on the overseas um, uh, uh, on, on the on the import of all this energy. Um, having said that, I think over the long run, uh, we and others are all uh, uh, make argument that uh, uh, you know the real way toward ensuring the energy security is make investments on uh, renewable because China is um, uh, only having very limited resources on the uh, on the fossil fuel resources, but China is very rich in all this uh, wind, solar, and hydro. Mm -hmm. So, so it is time to really make a mass investment. And China, uh, I think, have made a strategic planning uh, to build uh, uh, to to further expand the renewable and. Um, uh, we're happy to see uh, uh, so far this year uh, the real construction establishment has uh, has outpaced uh, uh, the uh, the planning so far. Nick, there's been criticism about who gets a voice. I mean, this event is very much pay to play, and the big oil firms and some of the richer nations have had conspicuously bigger pavilions than some of the smaller countries who are probably more acutely affected by um, global warming. So should the fossil fuel funfair be separated maybe from the negotiations? I think it's a bit unfair to be honest, some of the uh, some of the comments people are making. If you look at the numbers, even the most um, pessimistic number on the number of fossil fuel company representatives, so less than 2% of delegates um, in Sharm El Sheikh. And um, compared to 25 years ago when I started doing COPs, when there were literally cigar-smoking Texan lobbyists going around organizing the oil-exporting states in, in the negotiating rooms, um, we have cleaned up the space of COP enormously. And Glasgow set a real precedent for avoiding completely fossil fuel money. Um, 
But there was pushback against fossil fuel phase out, but it came from countries and countries obviously have a seat at the table and many of them are fossil fuel exporters, including Saudi Arabia, Russia, Iran, who are very vocal and Egypt. And many delegates were very angry at how Egypt handled the negotiations and didn't respond to a push led by India to include text on phasing down fossil fuels and a hundred other countries supported them. And that language wasn't even discussed formally. So there is a bad test taste being left in people's mouths, a feeling that this was kind of the last gasp of the fossil nations. The International Energy Agency has just predicted fossil fuel growth will peak in 2025. So they know their market is diminishing and they're kind of fighting over the last elements. Um, however, they've got plenty to destabilize the climate. So, um, but I think it does raise some real issues about um, next year's COP, which will be in UAE, another big gas exporter, and whether they will play a neutral role in presiding over the COP and balancing the interests of different countries, because um, definitely people did not feel this was a neutral COP and they did not feel that countries were listened to who wanted to make the point that fossil fuels need to be phased out to solve climate change. A simple point, you think it was obvious, but it's contentious inside the, fossil, the, uh, the COP of parties, not because of industry being there, but because of the interests of countries. And that's what the COP is about, the interests of countries. Um, and maybe that's why, Satendra, the UN's climate chief, um, Simon Steele, said that he intends to review the, the whole COP process to, to make it, and this is a quote, as effective as possible. So what do you think needs to change? First uh, is that uh, COP as a, as, a, as a conference of uh, states uh, is uh, uh, dealing with uh, the single largest uh, threat uh, uh, to our planet. It's about leadership. And uh, it has uh, under-delivered on leadership. Uh, uh, countries have many, many problems. The world faces a series of uh, uh, intersecting and interlocking crises. By far, uh, the most uh, significant and largest uh, uh, threat before us as a human civilization, as a planet, is the climate crisis. We are so close uh, to uh, crossing the tipping points. We may have already crossed uh, one or two of the tipping points. The window of time for action is reducing so much. So we hope uh, that uh, leaders rise up, that once in history, once uh, in, uh, in, a, in a long time, uh, global leadership is called on to take decisive global action in the interest of all of us put together rather than in the narrow interest of, uh, of uh, commercial companies, private uh, uh, enterprises of the fossil fuel industry, etc. So that's what one part, and then we'll really keep on appealing for uh, far greater leadership to be demonstrated at, at COP. On second, on fossil fuel, I think uh, as uh, we have all all shared, fossil fuel is not part of, of the future, and uh, the issue of just transition, we understand fully uh, what. Uh, we need in the negotiation room is a better sense uh, appreciation uh, that the scale of uh, crisis outside in the real world uh, that that urgency that scale be brought inside the negotiation room and that these barriers and walls that are placed by interest groups etc lobbies uh, that uh, these uh, these are uh, filtered as, as uh, speedily as possible so that uh, urgency and a real sense of uh, where science is and how close we are tip, uh, to the tipping point drives the negotiation and drives forward the uh, scale of ambition. We need uh, the, uh, the greenhouse gases uh, uh, emissions to peak uh, within a couple of years, not uh, pushed further. 
everybody, small countries, large countries, poor countries and, and rich countries, they all have to do a lot more. So we are not uh, necessarily saying that uh, the share of the blame is only with those countries solely or largely dependent on fossil fuel. Everyone needs to do a lot more and that must drive uh, how the fos uh, fossil fuel industry sees itself and, and that it really shrinks uh, exponentially uh, the time uh, that it is asking for the transition away. These are some of the countries who can best afford uh, the transition to renewable energy. These are some of the countries who can best uh, uh, finance uh, some of the transitions that other countries need to make. And then uh, we need to make transitions in energy, in shipping, in food systems, as we are discussing, across uh, every sphere of uh, human, human activity. This is where the yeah. commerce is. This is where uh, our stability as a planet is, and this is uh, where our human development lies. And so we, we hope uh, that uh, fossil fuel industry sees uh, that uh, it can be a big part of the solution rather than uh, continuing to put uh, uh, barriers uh, in yeah. the way or slowing down our transition to solutions. For now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all of the Agenda team here in London, goodbye.